This morning's scripture reading is going to come from Daniel chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. That's Daniel chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, and that can be found on page 786 in your pew Bible. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement and to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that everyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may, be, may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day praying and giving thanks before his God he had been doing previously. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you. It's encouragement to us that you're here and we want to be an encouragement to you. We're thankful today to have the opportunity that we have had every day of our life and it's the opportunity to pray. But on this particular day, we wanna to come together as a church family and we wanna spend some extra time in prayer. You'll notice in your bulletin that there's a time that various classes are getting together to pray. Now you're welcome to come to any of those. You don't have to attend the one that's only your class, but please join in uh, in one of those prayer times today or in multiple of those if, if it works out into your schedule. Also, please turn in your prayer request. You can take those to your elder today if, uh, into your Bible class or there are also our forms and the box at the information center. And uh, we will be praying for every member by name and every guest that turns in a prayer request. We'll be praying for you. We'll be praying for each of the deacons uh, work that they do. And uh, we are thankful to be able to lean upon God and everything. And today is a reminder of that and hopefully it's what we do all the days of our life. You remember last week we placed an emphasis on service where the sermon day was a great success. And now today we place that emphasis upon prayer. As was already mentioned just a moment ago, there's not often, it is not often that we get to talk about somebody's 70th wedding anniversary. Again, we just want to say happy anniversary and congratulations to the vouchers. Uh, they were not able to be here this morning, but you ought to drop by Providence Place sometime soon and just wish them a happy anniversary. Uh, what a blessing that is. We have some of our young families that go down and visit them and even lead a service. They just started this on their own. And uh, you see a picture there of uh, some of the kids, they, they get up before uh, the, the residents there and they sing songs of the New Testament books and various songs like that to them. And uh, we are thankful for the Whitlocks and the Rosales and the Calwins and uh, the uh, Johnsons and other families that have joined in. And what the young people like about it is they're able to follow Miss Boucher back to her room there to the, and uh, she shares the uh, bingo winnings that she has each week of candy. She shares that with them. And then also 
Uh, Mr. Boucher, uh, he has uh, spent a lot of years in the railroad, and so he can tell the kids all about the trains. And in that particular picture, uh, he is showing a picture of, of one of the trains there that he worked with. And, you know, I, I think about the passage that tells us to do good unto all men, especially to those of the household of faith. Listen, God's design is that we're always going to be good to each other. We're always going to love each other and we're always going to help each other. And I want to encourage you uh, to reach out to families like the vouchers and reach out to those that aren't able to get out as often and uh, make sure that we fulfill God's design of a spiritual family. We have so much to be grateful for. We're to be grateful people every moment of our life. This month, we want to spend a little extra time thinking and studying about gratitude and about prayer. They definitely go hand in hand in God's mind that's revealed to us in Scripture and should go hand in hand in our mind and in our life. Isn't it interesting to think about the various individuals that made their way into the holy writings? There are a lot of godly people that have lived, that their life and their story is not recorded in the Holy Bible. But then there's individuals like Daniel. He did make it into the holy rites, the holy writ. But why? Isn't it interesting that also any of these that did make it into the holy writ, their whole story is not told. There's only little bits and pieces of their life that's told. Why is Daniel in the Bible? And what little bits of his life do we have? Isn't it interesting out of the very little bit that we have about the life of Daniel, God wanted to make sure that we see the prayer life of this individual. I hope today that you're a person that you cannot imagine not praying. You would not not pray. That's why Daniel's in Daniel the sixth chapter. God wanted us to know Daniel would not not pray. Does that describe you? That you wouldn't dream of going throughout a day without stopping and praying? And not because you want to check something off of a list, but because that's your relationship with God, that's your dependency upon God, that is your gratitude toward God, that is your love for God, that you're going to always pause and you're going to always be a person that prays. You see this that we look at in Daniel, the sixth chapter. We're looking at Daniel there that he is about probably 90 years old, a lot of the scholars think. And it's easy to be impressed, if you will, with a 90-year-old man who's lived a godly life. But sometimes we fail to realize, how did that 90-year-old person get to that godly state of living? And we go back to Daniel, the first chapter, and we get some keen insight. There we believe that Daniel was probably around 15 years of age. You remember that the Babylonians came over three different times and took back individuals. And finally, there was that small remnant that was taken back for 70 years. Daniel was taken back before that small remnant. So he would have lived in Babylonian captivity for more than 70 years. And he was kidnapped, if you will, as a prospect of one of the future wise individuals that would serve the Babylonian king here in the first chapter. It's Nebuchadnezzar. I know that may seem strange to us, but I want you to imagine that. I want you to imagine a king saying, go in and pick out their best teenagers. And so we read in the first chapter in verse four, they picked out young men that were good looking. 
They picked out young men who were already wise and smart. And I don't know how they tested this at this time, but they even had the ability to learn quickly. And then in the first chapter, they put them in a three-year prep time. Some of you have prepped for ACTs. You've prepped for college courses. They're literally prepping to be a counselor or perhaps if they're good enough, a leader to the empire for the king. And so that's what we see in the first chapter in Daniel. And you remember the names that they were given of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those young men rose to the top. They did well. We'll get back to that in just a few moments. And so we see this young man, Daniel, we see him making his commitment to serve God, even as he's been snatched out of his home, snatched away from his family and snatched out of the holy city to grow up in a foreign land. And now we read about him in the sixth chapter and it is quite impressive of the man that he became. Look with me, if you will, to Daniel, the sixth chapter in verse one and two, and let's get a glimpse of the setting here. This is the man that he had become. In Daniel six, one and two, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Again, the fact that makes it impressive is that now he's serving the king Darius. That would have been the Persian empire. When we read back in the first chapter, he's serving Nebuchadnezzar. That was the Babylonian empire. In other words, there's literally been a complete shift of world powers. And when one emperor moves out because of defeat and the other one moves in, they were so impressed with Daniel, they kept him. Now you can say, well, it's the work of God. But when we study the book of Daniel, there is no doubt that God was working with Daniel. But there's also no doubt Daniel was working with God. And so we see here a breakdown of this empire. Where Darius decides, I'm going to break this down into 120 provinces. And I'm going to put a satrap over each province. Now, he doesn't say he's going to equally divide them, but let's just say he was going to equally divide them. And then he says, I'm going to put three governors over them. And so there's going to be 40 satraps that answer this governor and 40 to this one and 40 to this one. Daniel was one of the three. And so literally there would be the king and then right under him would be three positions. And Daniel was one of those governors. And you say, not bad for a young boy that's snatched out of his home at 15 years of age. But what I want you to see in this study this morning, and my guess is we're going to have to finish this lesson tonight, which will be even the greater part of the emphasis on prayer. But, but I want you to see that it wasn't just happenstance, that there was something powerful about the way this young man devoted his heart, his behavior, and his life, his faith. Go back, if you will, to the first chapter. I want us to read a couple of verses together. Uh, no, wait, I'm sorry. 
Stay at the sixth chapter for just a minute. I want you to see how he's described in verse three. Then we're going to go back and see how this began even at the age of 15. Look at verse three in the sixth chapter. We just read verse one and two, how he's one of the three governors. Now look at verse three, how he's distinguished here. Then this Daniel distinguished himself. Notice that word distinguished. He distinguished himself above the governors. There was only two of the governors, but he's distinguished himself and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to the setting, to setting him over the whole realm. Do you see what's being revealed here? I know that I have three underneath me, but I'm really being impressed with this man named Daniel. And what I'm thinking about doing is going ahead and putting him as the second man in charge and the two governors will answer to him and all the satraps will answer to those two governors. How could this happen? Well, it was because I'd like, I'd like for you to just think with me like we had a chalkboard. I'd like for you to think about position. He's, think, he's already in a high level position. He's thinking about offering him a higher level. Well, why would you do that, King? Well, because he has distinguished himself. The, the word distinguished has to do with chief or preeminent. In other words, there's something about Daniel that has become a distinguishing factor over all the other leaders. Notice, he's not just distinguished because the king has distinguished him. There's something that he has done that has distinguished him. And that's what's revealed here in verse 3. It was his excellent spirit. Excellent is exceeding. In other words, there was something that was above and beyond the norm about the spirit of Daniel. The spirit is the mind. The spirit is the behavior. The spirit is the life. Do you have a negative spirit about you? Do you have a positive spirit about you? Do you have a spirit of godliness about you? There was something about Daniel's spirit that here it's described as an excellent spirit that distinguished him from the other ones that caused the king to say, I want to promote this man again. What was it about the excellent spirit that created these two things? Look with me, if you will, back at the first chapter in verse 8. And what I want you to see is that this man that's 90 years old, about to be promoted again, had a spirit that was excellent about him when he was 15 years of age and he was stolen away from his home. And it is a beautiful and powerful revelation. He's taken into this place of preparation uh, where these young men are being prepared to see who's going to rise, if you will, in the ranks uh, to serve the king and the kingdom. And look in Daniel, the first chapter in verse 8. But Daniel, notice the contrast, but, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He's gone into a place of preparation where the very finest and the luxuries were offered to him that would have been the king's luxuries, the king's delicacies. But he's a Jew. He's a Hebrew. He serves the Almighty God even though he's been ripped away from the holy city and ripped away from his family and he's in a foreign land. Hey, what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. Not to this young man. This young man was a young man of deep commitment. 
I'm not going to partake in these foods that would be against the command of God and the will of God. And so because he had that kind of deep commitment, it changed his behavior. I'm not going to eat as they eat. I'm not going to do as they do. Well, how was he going to get permission to do this? He'll open faith. He didn't try to pull the oh, oh, I'm sorry, I just don't like that. Instead, he called the chief eunuch, that would have been the man in charge of all of those men, called the chief eunuch over and said, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you about my faith. I do not want to defile myself. In other words, what you are asking me to do is against the will of my God. I do not want to do it. And you'll remember the rest of the first chapter. And if you don't remember, go back and study it this afternoon. It's beautiful. They, he was a little bit concerned about that. And, and Daniel just talked to me, test. Just, just give us a period of time to test. And you're going to see that we will do well because we'll have the blessings of God on our side. And they did do well. But I want you to notice this again. Deep commitment is in verse 8. Different behavior is in verse 8. Open faith is in verse 8. Isn't it interesting how often when we get separated that thou, those are often the times that we don't display those things. How many times does, does a child go to junior high or high school and during the day you don't see a different behavior because there has not been a development of commitment. And you don't see anything that lives out an open faith. How many times do we have high school kids graduate and they go off to college and at 18 and 19 years of age, they are in a foreign land, so to speak. Their church family's not there. Their mom and dad is not there. And so the question is, would they look anything like this young man, Daniel, of an excellent spirit. Now listen, don't write this off. This is what God is calling us to be. We have young families that will be in their mid-twenties and they'll do well until their job transfers them to a part of the United States that doesn't have a strong church family. And then, instead of deep commitment, and instead of different behavior, and instead of open faith, the next thing you know, they've joined up with a denomination somewhere because that were a bigger group and we just enjoyed it more. What happened to the deep commitment that you had to the Lord and His church? What about the college student that goes off to college and behaves like the world? I need to pause right now. And I need to ask myself, if there was some kind of horrible situation like took place in Daniel's life, where I was ripped away from my church family and my physical family and my home, and I was taken to a foreign area, would I still have a deep commitment to God? And would I live a life different from the worldly people around me? And would they know of my faith in God? 
Listen, there's a reason why when we get to Daniel, the sixth chapter, that Daniel is brought out as a man with an excellent spirit. Listen, brethren, he'd been living for 60 or 70 years since he was 15 years old with that excellent spirit ruling his life. It was deep commitment. He knew who he was and he knew that nothing was going to change that. And he didn't hide his faith. He was very open with his faith. And how did it work out for him? You're still open there to Daniel, the first chapter. Skip down to verse 19 and let's see how it worked out for him. Then the king interviewed them and among them, all, among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all of the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. That's success, I'd say. Hey, let me tell you who I am. Please work along with me, he's saying to the eunuch. It'll be all right. We can prove that this is the best way. Years go by and he goes then and he stands before the king along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they stand before the king and all of a sudden the king is blown away. These young men that are just coming out of training are 10 times smarter than the best astrologers I have. They're better than the best magicians I have tenfold over. Oh, no wonder. This young man not only impressed Nebuchadnezzar, but when Darius comes into place, he is an older man by this time, but yet he is still very, very impressive. Let's go back now, if you will, to Daniel, the sixth chapter. Let's look at one more thing and we'll close. Look at the sixth chapter in verse four. So if we do the right thing, is, is this the summary so far? If we do the right thing, God will just always take care of us and we'll get all kinds of promotions and nothing will be difficult in life. That's not the summary at all. By the time we come here to Daniel, the sixth chapter and verse four, keep in mind, he's not in an easy situation. He's living in captivity. But even at that, we read in verse four, so the governor and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find, or they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Isn't that interesting that he was counted faithful? Now notice there's two distinguishing aspects of his faith that they reference, one directly and one indirectly. See, the first thing he was faithful to was to the kingdom, the earthly kingdom, not God's kingdom, the earthly kingdom. He served the king. And so the first thing they thought, if we can find something to prove that he's not faithful to the kingdom, he won't get that promotion. They were envious. They didn't want this excellent spirited man who had distinguished himself to rise above them. And they figured out quickly, this is a faithful employer. We can't find anything wrong with the way he does his job. But we also know who else he's faithful to. He's faithful to his God. Remember the excellent spirit? They knew that. They lived around Daniel for decades. 
They knew his faithful spirit. And they said, so now what we need to do is we need to get some kind of decree coming from the king that would be in conflict with Daniel's faith. And they knew Daniel's faith in God would be greater than his loyalty to any earthly king. And so they had the decree to be passed in the following verses that for 30 days, no one could pray to any God or to any man except to the king himself. Of course, they did that knowing that Daniel would not, not pray to his God. What a powerful, powerful reminder. But what does this also remind us of? It reminds me of the fact that I need to stop and ask myself, who are my enemies? When you identify your enemies, you have also identified yourself. Who is it that likes you and loves to be around you because you are so much alike? Who is it that honestly doesn't like you and they don't like to be around you? Because you aren't anything alike. You don't share that same deep commitment. You don't share that different behavior in life. You don't share the same open faith. And because you are so different in spirit, they find it offensive. I want to remind you of James, the fourth chapter in verse four, where he begins by addressing spiritually adulterers and adulteresses. He says, do you not know that here it is? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Wherefore, therefore, whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Brethren, I didn't say that and you didn't say that. We didn't come up with that principle. God did and it's been in place since Old Testament times and it's run all the way through the New Testament times and here we are in 2013 and it's the same principle. When you can go to work and you can go out to social events and people that are worldly can be your best friends, something's wrong. When they love you because you share their same behavior, something's wrong. When they love being around you because your commitments that you've made in life don't conflict with the commitments they haven't made in life, something's wrong. God makes it clear. We can be his best friend or we can be the world's best friend, but we can't be both of them's best friend. And when we choose the world, we become an enemy to God. And when we choose God, there will always be people that do not appreciate that spirit. It was the excellent spirit that they grew jealous of and that they wanted to defeat. And so I close this morning from 1 Peter, the fourth chapter and verse one. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter and verse one. Think about enemies, think about suffering, think about doing the right thing, and think about how unbiblical it is to say, I, I shouldn't be going through this because I live a righteous life. And the reason I'm saying unbiblical, it's not true, but I want you to realize, you're literally saying in that statement, I don't know the Bible. 
That's what you're literally saying because all through the Bible the teaching is if you stand with God and you stand up for righteousness, you are going to suffer. Things on earth are not going to be easy when you make your stand with God. And so here's how Peter uh, brings it forth. And then tonight we'll even look at the end of this same chapter, again talking about Daniel. But, but look at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. See, the one can reign, the lust of men, which would be the world, or the will of God. Only one of those can be our friend. Only one can reign our life. Look at verse three. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. That's the lust of the flesh. That's the world. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they, that's the world, think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation, speaking evil of you. Who are your enemies? Who are the last individuals that spoke evil of you? That tells you who you are. If the people that have lived out this list that are the lust of the flesh and the, they live their life by the will of the flesh, if they're the ones that are saying, I love that guy. I love that, that lady. Oh, we love being together. We, we just, we are the best of friends. Raise the red flag. There's something wrong with your spirit. It's not so excellent. You aren't distinguished. Look, we don't become distinguished because we try to rise above. We become distinguished because we serve a God who has set a standard that is above. And that standard that is above is from an excellent spirit and distinguishes us. And yes, the world's going to think it's strange. And we're going to have some kickback. And sometimes the kickback can be so strong that we end up being thrown into a den of lions. This morning, I want to encourage you to think about who you are. Not who you want to be perceived as, but who you are in the depths of your being. Because ultimately, that's what you live out. I want to encourage you to think about how people do perceive you. Because that tells a whole lot about our behavior and who we are. Christianity was never given to us as an invitation to come to church on Sunday. Christianity was given to us as an invitation to lay down our life, to take up the cause that demands our all. 
And if you're tired of just being religious, we want to encourage you to jump all in this morning. We want to encourage us all to be praying about this today. We want to encourage everybody to leave here this morning saved by the grace of God. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, why not this morning? If you are needing to come back and restore yourself and to wholly devote yourself to God, why not this morning? There's no time like the present to lay it all down before the Lord.